Thanks, Ben. Uh, great to be with you this morning. Uh, full house almost. It's uh, good to see all your smiling faces. Um, there was once a pastor who uh, went to visit one of his church members uh, in, the, in his home. It was, it was a pastor going to visit a deacon. And he was walking in, uh, you know, through the, the, the garden gate, and he walked up to the house. And as he was walking up to the house, he thought he could hear a bit of water running, but wasn't quite sure. It seemed to stop pretty quickly. And, and he knocked on the door a couple of times and stood there and waited. And he knocked again, and he knocked again. And he stood there for about a minute knocking, and there was nothing, no, no noise or anything like that. So he pulled out his business card, and he wrote on the back of his business card, Revelation 3.20. And he put his business card at the front door and left. Now, Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. And uh, he left and he you know, obviously didn't get to meet up with the deacon that day. And uh, then on Sunday, he, was noticed, he noticed after this on the back of the card as well. It was, uh, his business card had been returned. And there was another verse written on the back of the card as well. It was uh, Genesis 3.10 which says, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. <laughs> I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Uh, that's one of my favorite jokes, uh, both because, uh, I mean, firstly, because it has two Bible verses in it. Like, how many other jokes do you know that have two Bible verses? Uh, and secondly, it reminds me of two of my favorite passages. In Revelation, Jesus saying, I stand at the door and knock. If you open the door, I'll come in. And also this wonderful passage at the start of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3, um, where Adam and Eve eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then God comes to walk in the garden, and they hear the sound of the Lord walking in the garden, and they hide from the presence of the Lord. And God says to them, where are you? And they say that, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God says to Adam, who told you that you were naked? And we have this very interesting passage right at the start of the Bible about naked end, and then all of a sudden, and Eve ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They, they sinned, and then all of a sudden, they realized that they were naked, and they were ashamed, and they hid. And then what God does is he actually, a little bit later in the story, gives them clothes that they could wear those clothes. Now, I want to ask you, what do you think that means? What do you think it means? One of our great fears is being naked. It's uh, one of the dreams that most people have, where they get to school in the morning and everyone else is starting to arrive at school, and then they've all of a sudden realize, I'm naked. Uh, it's a dream so many people have had. Or you're at work and you're about to get up and give a presentation and everything's going fine, but then you realize that you don't have any clothes on. And what psychologists say, I'm told, about these dreams is not that they reveal a desire for all of us to be naked in public, but rather they reveal a fear of being exposed. That there's part of me that I don't want to show you. There's a part of who I am that I'd rather is not seen by others. And, um, and I, I don't want to be exposed, I don't want to be ashamed, I don't want to be disgraced, I don't want to be humiliated, and so I'd rather, it speaks very deeply to our psychologist, so that you can't see that part of me. Obviously, it speaks very deeply to our psychology, um, but I find it really interesting that God gives Adam and Eve clothes. So he doesn't say to them, hang on a second, guys, I made you naked, you need to limit your self-disclosure, 
and therefore I'm going to give you permission to limit your self-disclosure. In other words, you now have the authority to decide what you reveal to the outside world and what you don't reveal to the outside world about who you are. And so from that moment on, there's this dichotomy, there's this distinction between our external persona, permission for that to exist, and who we really are on the inside. And that's okay. God gives permission for that to exist. It's okay for us on the inside to be a little bit more than who we are on the outside. It's okay to not show who you are to everyone all of the time. That's totally fine. But it does create a potential problem, and that is when we create an external persona that is completely false, that is actually deceitful. It's not just that we're limiting our self-disclosure intentionally, but we're creating a fake me that others see on the outside. And that's the, the issue that we're going to get to today because Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in the passage that I'm just about to read, and he's talking about how they are creating a fake version of themselves for the world to see. And we're going to talk about that and we're going to deal with it. So uh, with that intro, I want to open up the passage. This is uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 37 to 54. Um, there it is, and I'm going to read it out to you. Uh, While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not wash first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees! For you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in them without knowing it. One of the lawyers, and for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, teacher, in saying these things you insult us also. And he said, woe to you lawyers also. For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge." You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. And he went away from there, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Uh, It's an amazing passage. There's a lot of Jesus rebuking people in the passage. So forgive me my message to reflect the message like Jesus' message. You know, I I always intend for my message to reflect the message of Scripture, to be the message of Scripture. So if I sound a little rebuke, a clean outside and a dirty inside. That's the problem, right? The Pharisees saw that Jesus came to have dinner, 
and he didn't wash his hands. Now, who doesn't like it when people don't wash their hands? <laughs> you might be a Pharisee. Be careful. <laughs> no, I don't like it, and I'm definitely a reformed and reforming Pharisee. So, you know, you know you, it, it's a really good lesson when a reforming alcoholic tells you why you shouldn't be an alcoholic. This morning, it's a reforming Pharisee telling you why you shouldn't be a Pharisee. Um, so, so Jesus, they said to him, why didn't you wash your hands? Now, it wasn't just that he didn't wash his hands um, like in, in, in terms of hygiene. There was a specific ritual that the Pharisees had created where they washed their hands in a ritualistic way before eating their meal. And that wasn't in the Bible. So this was an extra tradition that they added. Uh, you, if you read the Old Testament, you'll never find a ritual given to you for how you should wash before you eat a meal. Okay, this is something that they added. They, there, is, there are rituals in the Old Testament about washing for priests before they enter and took that rule and that ritual and they've done is they said, oh, well, we're going to sort of be like priests as well. And they took that rule and that ritual and they applied it to everybody in their homes. And so they're adding to scripture, adding to the Bible, adding rules, adding rituals, adding traditions, and then they're judging Jesus for how he's not towing the party line and doing what he is. I like people should do. And Jesus responds by saying, you Pharisees are like people who wash the outside of a cup or a bowl, but the inside is dirty. I want you to imagine you go to someone's house and, you, and they say, hey, would you like a cup of tea? And you say, yeah, I'd love a cup of tea. And they say, here's a cup. Just there's the kettle. Make yourself a cup of tea, right? And they give you this cup and it looks all clean on the outside. And you're ready to, to go and make yourself a cup of tea. And then you look on the inside of the cup and it's got mold and it's got old food, the curry from last night, whatever it is. And you look in this cup and you think, how can I make myself a cup of tea with this? And they look at you and they go, what's wrong? I cleaned it on the outside. And you think, well, you've, you've, you've lost the plot. Obviously, this is a thought experiment. This is a nice, clean exterior, but on the in, in our lives every day, when we present a nice, clean exterior, but on the inside, we are dirty with greed and wickedness and sin. And immediately, Jesus actually gives us um, two quite clear, uh, clear and quick solutions to this problem. Uh, we want to put the passage back up with, with the first set of, um, of slides with the verses there. And I want you to look at verse 40. This is what Jesus says straight away. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Now, what Jesus is saying here is your external persona, what you look like, your external behavior, who you are on the outside, that was made by God. And who you are on the inside was also made by God. Your thoughts, your emotions, your motives, your intentions, your desires. Your outside was made by God and your inside was made by God. And that's an important thing for us to realize. Um, when someone makes something just by virtue of copyright, that person has ownership just by virtue of creating it. And so Jesus is saying, God made your internal self, he made your external self, and he owns your internal self, your soul, and he owns your external self, your body, your persona, what you look like. And he's interested in your internal self, and he's interested in your external self. Otherwise, he wouldn't have made it. 
if he wasn't interested in it. He has ownership and an interest in who you are as a human being, both on the inside and on the outside. And that's a first little lesson that helps us to, to start solving the problem of Phariseeism when we have a clean exterior but a dirty interior. The second solution, straight away, verse 41, Jesus says, but give as alms those things that are within and behold, everything is clean for you. Now, I had to reflect a lot on this passage, uh, especially this verse. I was painting this week. I spent three days painting a house that we, uh, that we own down in, the, in, in Albury. And uh, I just decided I'm going to spend a lot of time thinking about this while I paint. And there was a lot of time. And I was thinking, what is this? Have an internal, those things that are within. What Jesus is saying is have an internal attitude of generosity. Have an internal attitude of generosity. If you notice a little bit later, um, uh, he says, sorry, just before that actually, verse 39, he says, the Pharisees are full of greed on the inside. What is greed? Greed is take. It's, it's when on the inside, you are focused on taking from others, taking from the world, taking from God. And it makes sense for people who on the inside are full of take and greed and wickedness. It makes sense for them to want to cover their inside up and not reveal it to the outside world. Right? That makes sense because they're ashamed of who they are on the inside. What Jesus is saying is if on the inside you have an internal spirit of generosity where you're giving from within you, then everything will be clean. Everything will be clean. And that's a second solution, just immediately in this passage, as to how we can come to terms with this reality of our external and our internal and how there's a, there's a distinction between them. If on the inside you are full of generosity, that means generous thoughts, you give people the benefit of the doubt without judging them. Right? It means generous motives. You're thinking about how I can bless others. Uh, it means generosity towards God. You're saying, God, I give you my heart. I want to please you. When you're full of an internal spirit of love and generosity, there is much less need to try to create a distinct and false external persona. All of a sudden, everything becomes clean. You don't need to hide anything. A Pharisee. And that might be the message this morning. How to not be a Pharisee. Recognize God made your internal self and your external self and fill your internal self with generosity, with generosity. All right, what we're going to do now is uh, jump to these six woes. And uh, I, I really love this passage. Um, I've always wanted to preach on the woes of Jesus, just because it feels like a difficult thing to preach on. Um, and, uh, and, and yet I love the words of Jesus. When I read these woes, I love them. And so I, I was so um, happy to just spend time learning about what annoys Jesus, right? What upsets Jesus? What makes Jesus angry, right? Because if we love Jesus, then we love everything about Jesus. And we, we're ready to embrace and understand what upsets him, what makes him angry, so that we cannot live like that, right? I don't want to be someone who makes Jesus angry. So we're going to go through them. There are six of them in the passage, and uh, that's going to be my my next six things to say is these six woes. We're going to try to get through them as quick as possible. If we need to keep going after lunch, that's totally fine. Just kidding. Uh, woe to you Pharisees. For you tithe, this, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Okay, what's Jesus saying? Tithing means giving 
of something that you've received uh, to God. In the Old Testament, there was lots of different ways of temple and ate yourself. But what these Pharisees were doing is they were actually taking their garden herbs, right? You bought some basil home from the supermarket, and they'd take the basil, and they'd chop of it, and then they'd go, and they'd somehow give it little spots on the chopping board, and they'd take that tenth of it, and then they'd go, and they'd somehow give it to God, right? Because they were so focused on... That's like not, it's not a bad thing, religious rules. And, and Jesus is saying, that's... That, like, not, it's not a bad thing for you to care about following these, these religious rules, but you need to understand that that is nothing. Now, justice here, we need to understand, is not the criminal justice system. It's not, you know, cops putting the robbers in jail. That's not what Jesus is talking about. When, when you see the word justice in the Bible, that means doing the right thing for those in need. Doing the right thing for those in need. It's a word associated with orphans, with widows, with the poor, and with the foreigner. You do justice by helping those whom the world has done an injustice to. Right? So Jesus is saying, you should have been focused on helping people in need. You should have been focused on loving God. Instead of those things, you were focused on fulfilling little religious rules. Little religious rules. Little superstitious rules. You know, I heard someone say, I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious. Um, uh, you know, we're not meant to be superstitious as Christians. That God doesn't care that much about the little rules, about tithing your garden herbs, if you're not following his commands about loving him and loving your neighbor. Uh, we lived in Russia for about nine years, as, as you know, and, and um, many of our friends in Russia were ex-drug addicts. They'd come to Christ through rehab centers, and they, they'd spent time in jail. You know, I remember sitting around the table with a bunch of pastors, and I said, how long have you guys all been in jail? <laughs> we went around the table, and, and everyone had been in jail for some amount of time. I think the least was a year, and the most was 15 years. And we added it up, and it was about 50 years between all of my pastor friends. Um, and I hadn't been in jail at all, and so it was just an interesting interesting time. I felt a little bad that I'd never been in jail. Um, and, uh, and one of my friends, he told me, you know, um, back when I was a, a heroin addict and we would go and rob houses, he said, often on the way to, we could go in at any time, we would pop into the church. Um, you know, it was a Russian Orthodox church and you could go in at any time and uh, you can light candles in a Russian Orthodox church. And he'd say, you know, just, just so that we wouldn't like get in any trouble while we were, you know, robbing this house. Um, <laughs> We'd just, you know, want to just cover our base, it was, and, and up into the church, and we'd light a candle, you know, pop it before the icon of Mary or whoever it was, and, 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 and you know, just say a little prayer, and, and then go and rob the house, um, you know, just to be careful, just to cover our bases. And uh, it was so interesting to hear that, and to think that actually many people think like that, and I probably think like that in some way as well, that it's, that, like, I can do these little external religious things, and that will somehow please God even when my inside is not full of love for him and love for neighbor. So that's woe number one. And it's the real focus is loving God, loving neighbor from the inside out. Woe number two, verse 43. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogue, synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. I quite like this one. You know, you can imagine the Pharisee walking around in his long religious robes and everyone saying, oh, Hello, Rabbi. Great to see you today. As a pastor, I, I can understand that. You can walk into the church and people say, oh, good to see you, pastor, and you feel a little bit important. Um, one of my dad's favorite stories was uh, telling about how he, he used to fly business, um, uh, fly for IBM. He worked in IBM. 
and, uh, and he actually flew on the Concorde a couple of times, and his friend was a Concorde pilot. And one time he was actually flying on a Concorde flight that his friend was the pilot of that flight. And he was waiting in the business class lounge. This is another, another story about a business class lounge. If you remember the last sermon, I had one of those as well. I'll try to keep them going. Um, and he was waiting in the business class lounge, and his friend, the pilot, comes into the lounge, dressed up all as a pilot, and he had his first officer and his you know, other people there with him, and they walked up to my dad, and in front of everyone in the business class lounge, um, the, the pilot said, Jerry Kay, I, I just wanted to introduce myself. My name is, you know, so-and-so. And I just wanted to say, we are so, so thankful that you've chosen to fly with us today. <laughs> and my dad played along, and he was like, oh, thank you. Yeah, of course, it's nothing, you know. And, uh, and then, the, the, you know, so they're mates, right? But, but no one in the business class lounge knows that they're mates. And then the, the pilot and his entourage leave. And, uh, and, my, and then, you know, everyone's looking at my dad thinking, who is this guy? Who is this guy? You know, how important would you feel? Um, and, and I think it's okay to sometimes feel important. That's okay. Jesus actually tells a, a different story about when you come to a banquet, choose the lowest seat so that the host would come in and say, hey, come to a higher seat. You're more important than you're making yourself out to be. You know, it's okay to enjoy feeling important every once in a while, but it's not okay to love feeling important, to love the first seats in the synagogues, to love being greeted in the marketplace. It, it, when you love it, that's your desire, that's your goal, that's your motivation. You know, this is my intention, my, my career, my goal is to be the most important person, right? My goal is to look important, my goal is to feel important. And you can often tell how much you love feeling important by when you, are, you don't feel important, right? Like you go to a party and, and no one really seems to want to talk to you, you know, <laughs> right? Or you're not the center of attention. Or you're not honored when someone else is honored. Important and normal moments when you realize, I'm feeling a bit disappointed by how unimportant and normal and boring I feel in this setting. Because if it really bothers and, and then you can judge how disappointed I am by that. Because if it really bothers you, that someone else was honored and you weren't, then hey, maybe you're a Pharisee. Um, uh, it was St. Patrick's Day on Friday. Uh, I love St. Patrick. He's like the coolest saint in the world. Um, he, he went to Ireland went in like late 300s, early 400s AD and converted like the whole island, preached the gospel. Incredible story, incredible story. He'd actually been a slave captured by pirates early on when he was young, and then he, he finally made it back to England. Uh, he was a slave in Ireland, made it back to England, and then God called him to go back to Ireland and preach the gospel. Amazing missionary story. And at the end of his life, after he'd converted like a thousand tribes and all of this incredible thing had happened, and he would have been one of the most well-known figures in the whole Christian world, at the end of his life, he writes his biography, and it starts off like this. My name is Patrick. I am a sinner, a simple country person, and many. The least of all believers, I am looked down upon by many. I am looked down upon by many. One of the greatest Christian leaders in history, at the end of his life, after all of his success, and this is how he thought of himself. I don't deserve special attention. I don't deserve special greetings. 
I'm a sinner. It's the first thing he says after his name. My name is Patrick. I'm a sinner. <laughs> I know my own sin. Right? I know the wickedness within me. I don't deserve special attention. Woe to you Pharisees. You love the best seat. Woe number three. Woe to you if you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. Uh, the, the issue here is in an Israelite understanding of the world, in, in God's understanding of the world back in that time. Um, what, what, there was a massive problem if you walked over a grave that was unmarked. As in, you didn't know that someone was buried here and you stepped on the grave. And the reason that was a massive problem is that it made you unclean and you weren't allowed to enter into the temple for seven days and you needed to do a few different ritual practices to get clean again. So that, that, that's a massive problem because it means that if there are unmarked graves and then entering into the temple, being unclean before God, not knowing that they're unclean, and then entering into the temple, and then this whole sacred space of the temple is getting defiled by them walking in and out. So it's a huge problem in the Old Testament, an unmarked grave. The problem with an unmarked grave is that it's unmarked. Right? It's defiling, it makes people dirty in a ritual sense, but it's unmarked and so nobody knows about it. And Jesus says this to the Pharisees, you're worried that I didn't wash my hands, but you are unmarked graves. You are defiling people because on the inside you're full of death and wickedness, but nobody knows about that. On the outside you look like nice religious people. Uh, another experience I had in Russia, which was incredibly bizarre. Uh, after the service one day, I walked up to uh, one of the guys uh, who'd been in the church for a number of years, and I shook his hand. And as I shook his hand, I had an image imprinted on my mind of him being involved somehow in the creation of pornography. And it was bizarre. And I, I didn't tell him that, I just chatted for a bit and left, and I felt defiled, I felt dirty. And then I didn't know what to do with that. And then four days later, I was the associate pastor, the senior pastor calls me up and says, hey, we need to meet with this guy. I'll call him Ivan, nice Russian name. And um, we need to meet with Ivan. I said, why? He said, oh, you wouldn't believe it. This week, his wife was looking through iCloud, you know, and saw these photos that he'd been like, photographing and videos that he'd been uh, recording. He's a photographer, a videographer, and it was pornography. And um, we met with him, and he told us the story about he's a photographer, a videographer, and some clients came to him with a proposal, and he only realized halfway through that it was pornography that he was going to be videoing, and he went along with it because it was good money. This guy's been in church for many years. And uh, we said to him, mate, you need to repent. You need to stop this. You need to cancel the contract. This is going to destroy your life. And he seemed 80% repentant in the conversation. You know what it's like when someone's like, yeah, I know it's about, I know I, did, I know I did the wrong thing. I regret it, you know. But you can tell there's something missing. And he went away and he kept going with that contract. His wife ran off with another woman, split up his family, lost his faith, and destroyed his life. And uh, what he was was an unmarked, received a dirty on the inside. I shook his hand and just okay, received a spiritual gift in that moment of discernment. And I was able to tell there's something grave. Don't come to church. Someone will shake your hand and get a spiritual gift and realize it. You know? 
Just kidding. Come to church. Everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome. But be aware. The Holy Spirit is active. And he sees what's going on on the inside. And he can change it. And the first way to change it, if you're an unmarked grave, is to mark yourself. Grave. You know? <laughs> Here's the sign. What do I mean by that? I mean, tell somebody about what's going on inside. Tell somebody about the wickedness, about the evil that's happening in your heart. This happens all the time. I don't want you to think that, oh no, if I told someone, then, then everyone would know about my sin. No, people in the room are doing this regularly, asking them for advice about having a relationship. The great thing about having a mentor is you, you're already asking them for advice about how you live your life. And then at one point, you're able to say to them, hey, I just want you to pray for me because I've been bothered by this particular sin. And they pray for you, and it's actually a lot easier than you thought it was going to be. And you open up the grave, and you let the light in. And the good news is that Jesus comes in the door and starts to cleanse you from the inside out. Woe number four. So at this point, one of the lawyers says, Jesus, you're also offending us. Now, this is not lawyers like we have today. So I know we've got some lawyers in the room. Don't worry, you guys are off the hook. Uh, this is the teachers of the law, of the Old Testament law. So nothing to do with lawyers as a profession today. And one of the lawyers says, and they're a very similar category. Um, he says, you know, you're offending us as well. And Jesus says, woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. And this is a tendency of religious people to tell others what to do, even if we aren't willing to do it ourselves, right? Give others advice that we ourselves aren't taking. I remember I was working once at a warehouse, and a friend of mine, non-Christian guy, said to me, what do you think I should get my girlfriend for Christmas? And I said to him, what? And I said, no, 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 there's a goat. And he looked at me like, what? And I said, no, 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 there's like this catalog where you can like buy a goat for a family in a third world country. And then you give the person a certificate that you bought this goat for this family in a third world country. It's an amazing gift because it's actually helping people around the world. And he's like, no, nah, man, I'm, I'm not going to get her a goat. <laughs> and I, and I, I sort of spent about five minutes trying to convince him that he should buy his girlfriend a goat. And, and in the end, he's like, I think I'm just going to get her earrings, mate. <laughs> and, and, and in this conversation, I realized I've never bought anyone a goat. Why am I telling him to buy his girlfriend a goat if I've never bought anyone a goat? And I really, you know, it's this, it's this weird religious tendency. As soon as you become a bit religious, you start thinking it's my job to give advice to everybody about how they should live their life, even if you're not particularly doing it yourself. You know, you just think it's a good idea. You should buy people goats. And it's a great idea. I'm sure plenty of you have bought people goats. Um, but I wasn't doing it myself, so what right do I have to tell others to do that? You know, so... This is just a really quick, a quick point. Uh, criticize people less. Give less advice, especially if you're someone who does speak their mind. And, and when you do give advice, make sure it's something you're actually doing yourself. It's a real temptation of Pharisees to tell others to do things that you yourself are not willing to do. Woe number five. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed, so that you are witnesses and consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore, also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Just quickly, what Jesus is saying is he's saying to these religious leaders, you are just the same 
as those who killed the prophets. You are just the same as them. Jesus is using a bit of irony because these religious leaders were building the tombs of the prophets, trying to venerate the prophets, trying to honor the prophets. And Jesus is saying, by building their tombs, you're, you're agreeing and affirming those who killed them, right? Which is a bit of humor that Jesus is using here, a bit ironic. But um, the point is, you are just like those who killed the prophets. In other words, when Jesus has come to them, who is a prophet, who is the greatest prophet, they are not willing to listen to him, right? There are two types of people when a prophet rocks up on the scene. There are those who love to listen to the prophet because the prophet is bringing the word because I just, I don't go, I don't want to listen to that guy or that girl because I just, I don't want them to challenge the way that I'm living my life. There are those who love the prophets and there are those who kill the prophets. And Jesus is saying to them, you don't realize it, but you are actually in the category of those who kill the prophets. So how do I today, in 21st century Australia, make sure that I'm in the category of those who love the prophets and not the category of those who kill the prophets? And the answer is this, how willing are you for someone to say to you, hey, I think you've done the wrong thing. Hey, I think you should do this instead of that. Hey, God put on my heart to tell you this. How willing are you to hear some kind of word from the outside? How aware are you of the idea, of the fact, that there is knowledge of God that somebody else has that you don't yet have? And, and you actually need it from somebody else. them to you, and this person, it's humbling for us. And this person, God will send them to you, and this person will say something that God has ordained for them to say to you, and God wants your heart to be soft and malleable like clay in the potter's hand, and for you to be ready to receive that word from God. If you are willing to be teachable, malleable, like clay in the potter's hand, ready to receive what God has to say to you, then Jesus doesn't say to you this morning, whoa. But if you're hard-hearted, when you hear a rebuke, when you hear a word from God, then woe. Woe number six, woe to you lawyers, for you've taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. And this is where we are closing, and this is where we realize why Jesus is so angry. Because there's a way to know God. There's a way into a relationship with him. There's good news. It's open to everybody. There's a way that God um, wants to uh, bring all of your sin. You're living wonderful relationship with him. It involves forgiving all of your sin. It involves cleansing you from all of your unrighteousness. It involves bestowing upon you beauty in place of ashes, joy in place of sorrow. Life in place of death, blessing in place of curse, favor in place of anxiety. Dead because the for the world. And Jesus is upset because these people had been taking away the key. They hadn't entered into all of this goodness that God offers the world, and they were stopping others from entering into external through their Phariseeism hypocrisy, religious external devotion, but it was all fake.
There is a door, but the religious leaders had taken away the key. Jesus calls it the key of knowledge. There's a key of knowledge that unlocks a relationship with God. It unlocks it's the word of God that gives us knowledge of God. And it's a key that unlocks a relationship with God. It unlocks a new kind of life. And Jesus is saying, you have taken that away. In another place, Jesus says to the same group, you lay aside the commandments of God to hold fast to the traditions of men. He even says, you make the word of God void by your traditions. And so now we start to understand why Jesus was quick on the attack. You know, they just said, hey, Jesus, why didn't you wash your hands? And he's like, woe to you, you fools. You know, and we get these six woes. I can imagine them going, whoa. <laughs> we didn't expect that. But we realize, why is Jesus so upset? And it's because by their hypocrisy, they were taking away the opportunity for others to come into a beautiful, life-giving, favorful relationship with the living God. And so, friends, uh, we want to close with that. And we want to just, I just want to close with this reality that our hypocrisy as Christians takes away from others' opportunity to come to a relationship with God. And so, how do we get rid of our hypocrisy? Well, it involves getting a little naked. Naked with yourself, not physically. <laughs> Vulnerable, open, humble, honest. With yourself, honest with God, honest with someone else, a mentor, a pastor, Bible study leader, another Christian, about what's going on God's side. It involves filling our lives with a generous spirit, and it involves knowing that God made me, all of me, and he's fully the outside, and he wants me to be clean, and he's fully capable, fully capable of making me clean on the inside if I just open myself up to him. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat and they with me.